Good morning, everybody. I want to call back to a, uh, to a simpler time, call back to 2020. And you remember uh, at the beginning of that year in March when, when the shutdown happened and, and COVID was setting in and, uh, and, a, and a weird thing happened. Like everything in the world, it seemed like everything stopped, right? Calendars were like freed up and eliminated. Businesses were closed. Any kind of work that could be done online would be done online. And it was, it was different, right? It was, it was calm, for a moment there. And if you're like me, you probably said to the people around you, you probably said, you know what, when we come out of this and when life starts to feel a little bit back to normal and when things start to open up again, we're not going to go back to normal. We're going to go back to this. This is our new normal. How's that working out? (laughs) Right? There's a little bit of nervous laughter in the room. Like, Like for a lot of us, it's like, I mean, it... It didn't really work out. If anything, if you're like me, you added all kinds of stuff back in. And and because of all the time that you missed, you added even more stuff back in to make up for lost time. And now we're even like a couple of steps back from where we were when we started on this thing. And we made this promise to say, this is our new normal. So this year, this year, I'd like us to consider for a moment if 2023 could be another new normal. Just like try it out. Just give it a shot. Uh, this time, uh, no external pressure is, uh, is, is going to be applied. It's going to be internal. It's going to be uh, a life of our own choosing, this new normal. And to do that, I would like to introduce you to a concept that honestly has just, uh, has just been incredibly, uh, incredible blessing in my own life. And it's one of these things that you kind of come across and workshop it for a little while. And if you're like me, you're like, my friend's need to know about this. My friends need to hear about this. It's, it's really life-changing kind of stuff. So I'm going to introduce you to a topic that has just really dramatically changed uh, my life and those in proximity, those closest to me uh, by extension. Um, and I want to let you know, listen, if you're, um, if you're anybody just coming here and you, you don't have really any strong convictions on Jesus or the gospel or church or any of this sort of stuff, this thing is going to be an incredible blessing and incredible help for you in your life. I promise that. But by the end of our time today, if you are on this journey with Jesus, you're going to see this thing has a whole nother set of gears to it. I mean, just when you thought you topped out and Jesus steps in and he just really, really changes everything around. So like, please, please, please stay tuned all the way towards the end. But this is the concept. It comes from this little book um, I picked up a while ago by Dr. Richard Swenson. The book is called Margin. And in in the book, he really defines margin and helping us set out our another new normal with the, uh, the amount that's available beyond what is necessary. Or for us, how we're going to define margin today is margin is the difference between your current pace and your absolute limit. Uh, Margin is the difference between your current pace that you're living your life and your absolute limit. Limit. Now this, this topic, this idea is so helpful, so powerful to us. We're going to come back to it for the next three weeks and just kind of apply it biblically to a few different areas of our life. So what we're going to do is be reminded that a dull pencil, or in this case uh, a thick sharpie, beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God tells you. So we're going to go old school with this thing. And we're going to just draw it on a whiteboard just like your classroom did a very long time ago. So this is our topic. We're going to put a few axes right in here. And remember uh, our, two, our, our two lines that we're going to draw. The first one is our absolute limit. Kind of as life goes on, this is the absolute limit that you get. And I'm going to try to write that and no making fun of my handwriting aloud. The absolute limit of our lives. Now this isn't like a full day or a busy day or a long month at the end with the bills that are still outstanding. This isn't just a lot. 
this is our maybe philosophical absolute limit that we could possibly live up to our lives. The limit before we bankrupt out or the limit before we completely break down. Okay, this is our absolute limit. And the other line that I'm going to draw on here is our, the current pace that we're living our life. And for each one of us, it's going to be different. And the question that I'm going to ask each one of us is what do you call the space or the gap that's in between our absolute human limit and the current pace of which we're living our lives. Uh, sometimes we're tempted to call this like blank space. Sometimes we're tempted to call it a, a gap or white space. Some of us even call it wasted space. The, the difference between our pace and our absolute human philosophical limit is just wasted or it's potential space. I am going to guess that if you call this space wasted or potential, you know, to live into aspirationally in 2023, you probably don't have two different lines. You probably have one line and they're right on top of each other and you know that that's not exactly working out super well for you. What I'd like to propose throughout this series, and again, apply it biblically, is the gap or the white space between these two lines. Uh, you could call it margin. We're going to call it, we're going to call it breathing room. We're going to call it a lifeline when you're drowning. We're going to call it an air bubble when you're underwater and you can't catch your breath. Because I believe in John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I came that they, which is us, I came that us, that you might have life and have life to the fullest, have the abundant life, have, have life to the most lived possible capacity. I believe this space right here, margin, breathing room, is a critical component to that. This is something that we're absolutely terrible at. This is something through the next few weeks we absolutely have to find a way to rescue and to re-implement into our lives. This is what, uh, this is what margin is. Margin is arriving to a meeting, um, arriving to a setting five minutes earlier as opposed to five minutes later so that sometimes you can literally catch your breath. What, what margin is in our lives is margin is having a little bit of money left over at the end of the month. Some of us, that's a foreign concept, so I'm just going to say that again. Margin is money left over at the end of the month. Margin... Um, margin is having the emotional bandwidth to deal with a child's outbursts without outbursting in response. Margin is putting a little bit of a buffer or a little bit of distance in between us and that sin that is most tempting to us. So we don't cross over that line. Margin is critical. And margin is something that almost none of us have. And so we're going to explore what margin looks like in the next few weeks. Uh, part three, we're going to take a look at that moral margin to keep us from making some of life's most regrettable mistakes. Uh, part two, next week, we're going to apply this principle of margin to our finances and hear what Jesus has to say about that. Uh, today, we're going to talk about margin as it relates to our time. Because if you're, if you're like me, you might, you might be a, a one more thing kind of person. Unfortunately, I married somebody exactly like me, and we both have this one more thing kind of mentality where I look at the day and I'm like, okay, I can grow, go grocery shopping and pick up the kids from school on time. I can do both of these things. And then the one more thing in the back of my head goes, yeah, but I bet you could also fill up the gas tank too. Let's give it a shot. 
And I'm like, well, as long as I'm thinking, as long as I'm, I'm putting gas in the tank, I'm driving right by the office. I could drop something off. I could pick something up. I could say hey to somebody while I'm there. Like one more thing, I can do this. And then who pays the price? My kids in pickup line who are watching and waiting for the absolute last car to pull through, wondering, is dad going to make it? Which is a legitimate fear because I have actually left them completely forgotten because of this one, one more thing kind of mentality. Those of you laughing, you probably got that call already. Like, you get that, right? right? Margin, margin. It creates this space to prevent us from doing that one more thing so that we can live life to the fullest. You know, as it relates to time, you know that you might be a one more thing kind of person. You might struggle with this thing. If you have a tendency to say phrases like, I'm just going to be a little bit late. <laughs> if you have a tendency to, to ask um, if you could leave the party like 15 minutes early, if that's going to be okay. If somebody's having like a, a track beat or a swim thing or a piano recital, like, like whatever the deal is. And if you're like going, okay, when specifically are you going to perform? Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to waste my day watching a bunch of other kids play the piano. Like I want to show up just for you. You probably don't have any of this margin. You're probably living your current pace on top of your absolute limit and you don't get to experience that life that Jesus spoke so highly of. And so in order to rescue some of this, we are going to go to a very, very unlikely place. We're going to go way back in the book of Psalms. We're going to go to Psalm 90. And for those of you who grew up in church, you might recognize Psalms, Psalms of David most of the time. David kind of is the king. He he wrote a lot of Psalms, so we kind of erroneously think that he wrote all of the Psalms. We're going to go to a Psalm that was not written by King David. In fact, just the... uh, Probably the opposite of that. The very, very first psalm probably that was ever written, scholars agree, was Psalm 90, and it was written by Moses. Not typically regarded as much of a singer-songwriter, Moses, but he sat down and he wrote Psalm 90, a psalm that speaks so intentionally about this, so intentionally about how we spend our lives, how we spend our time. Because remember, how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. And Moses is such an extraordinary person to go to in order for this kind of understanding because Moses was a guy who lived like three full lives. Moses was a guy who was born in the, in the palace in Egypt. He grew up as a prince of Egypt. You probably saw that movie, right? Forty years he spent, like a whole lifetime he spent in the palace before, before murdering this Egyptian. He had to go on the run. He lived as a fugitive. He watched over his father-in-law's sheep all the way around the world, middle of nowhere in Midian for, for 40 more years. Another whole life just like watching sheep. And then God called him back to Egypt at 10 plagues. He brings the people out in the wilderness. Again, he's not watching sheep in the middle of nowhere. He's watching people in the middle of nowhere. They're still not his people or sheep. They're now God's people, his sheep. And he spends another whole life, 40 years, watching over those people's sheep in the middle of nowhere. Like this is a guy who knows a thing or two about time. And he sits down and he writes a song, a psalm about time. And as we're going to hear it, it's really about life. This is what Moses says in Psalm 90, starting off in verse 1. He starts with, Lord. He starts at the very, very beginning, the centerpiece of it all. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, he goes, from everlasting to everlasting, you are 
God. You can kind of start to see what he's doing. He's like zooming out on this whole thing, right? Like, he, like he's, getting the, he's getting some distance between himself and the picture. He's going, God, you know, Lord, that's his starting place. Before the mountains were formed, he's like, I don't know how these mountains were formed, right? But we, we look at it today and like, like while the earth was still this like lava thing kind of cooling, you were there, like you were God. And, and, and long after like the sun goes out and then the whole universe collapses or expands into collapse, I don't know really know how that works. But before all of that, like you are still going to be God from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You start to see he's zooming out. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna like, recognize us in the presence of that God and say, man, what do we got, like 80 years? A hundred? Like just imagine our lives laid up on top of God. Moses is going to live for about 120 years. He's maybe writing this in some of those later years. And he's going, man, my life is extraordinary. It's my three lives, as long as I have, which is more than the vast majority of so many, still in light, in comparison to God from everlasting to everlasting, how small I am. Which is interesting because it's actually what we see in research today. Like I came across a study a little while ago um, that, that sought to clarify why people as they age feel like time kind of speeds up. And they, they set people down in rooms and they had them like time out how long a minute is, an hour, five hours, whatever the case is, like how long kind of things go by in just like this room without any ways of telling. And what they found is indeed the older somebody is, the faster they experience time from going. And they kind of like made some guesses as to why. And one of those guesses is like, um, I've got a 10-year-old at home. And so like one year of his life is 10% of his whole life, you know? One year. I mean, it's, it's 20% of his like, life that he can remember. Like, one year is a ton. But his great grandmother's approaching 100 right now in like a year for her. And that's like 1% of her whole life. It's, just, it's, so, much, it's so, much, so much smaller. So we can see, like, as we start to age, we're kind of zooming out a little bit and we start to see time a little differently. And so what Moses is doing is going, okay, we zoom out like 80 to 100 years. Could you imagine God? Could you imagine zooming out from everlasting to everlasting and, and try to, like, try to imagine how God sees how we're spending our time and spending our lives. <laughs> he applies it. He applies it to God looking at us in verse 3. He goes, you turn people back to dust, saying, and I love this line, return to dust, you mortals. Marvel, if you're listening, just consider that line. Personal favor. So good. Uh, verse 4. A thousand years, he goes, in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or a watch in the night. A watch in the night is like midnight to 3 a.m. It's about three hours. He goes, man, God experiences uh, a thousand years, like a three-hour watch in the night, like a blink of an eye. So quick. Uh, verse 5, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. And they're like new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, and by evening, it's dry and withered. That's just like what we are. We're grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. We're grass. Or we're, or we're the blink of an eye all of a sudden. That's our whole life. All 80 years that we have just gone just like that. Are you so glad that you came to church today for an encouraging word? such as that. Verse 10. <laughs> no other comment. Just moving on. Verse 10. Our, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. 
Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. He's looking back in his life, and I, don't, I can't prove it. I don't, I don't know that he's talking about it, but he, I just imagine the trouble that he's talking about, the, 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 what is it? the trouble and sorrow of leading people out of Egypt, leading people out of slavery, and he's going, we're going to a land, he calls it the land flowing with milk and honey, and it's not going to be theirs, it's not going to be somebody else's, it's going to be yours, it's going to be great, it's going to be perfect, everything and more that you've ever wanted, and the people are like, yeah, but we have to walk there? <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding. And he's like, oh, you're, you're leaving Egypt. And they're like, oh, but at least in Egypt there wasn't so much walking. Did you bring us all the way out here just to die? Were there no more graves left in Egypt? Is that why we're here right now? And Moses is like, trouble and sorrow. You have got to be kidding. I am bringing you to Disney World, and you don't like the snacks, so you're crying out, I wish we were dead. <laughs> Trouble and sorrow. But even Moses, in these sober moments, even Moses is going, even in such a struggle time like that, it quickly passes. And we fly away. And I think he knows at this point that he's just about to fly away too. Time is almost up. And he starts to land the plane with this. In verse 11, he says, If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Which for me, in reading that, is about as clear as mud. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. I'm not like an English teacher, but I don't think that sentence, like, would pass. It's just too much wrong with it. There's something that's probably been lost in the millennia of when that line was written and for here today. So let me do my best to try to translate it for us. If we saw God as he really is, we'd give God the reverence that he's really due. If we saw God as he really is, we'd give God the reverence that he's really due. Like if we zoom out enough and if we could actually see God, what we'd recognize is that the time that we have is so small. The time that we have It's such a gift of such a precious commodity. And the time that we have is just so limited. And when something starts to run out, we spend it a little differently, don't we? When something starts to run out, suddenly, like we don't have time to crowd out our lives with the tyranny of the urgent, but ultimately not that important kinds of things. When our time becomes limited, we limit how we spend our time because we don't have the time to spend on things that ultimately really don't grow us or stretch us in any kind of way. The the things that aren't ultimately really that important. When our time is limited, we limit our time just just like anything else. Just like when you go grocery shopping, especially now, and you go grocery shop, maybe in the... Maybe in the beginning of the month, and if you're like me, like you've got a set amount of money that you're going to spend this month on groceries. And when I go like the first grocery shopping of the month, it is, it isn't a chore, it's a joy. I mean, it's like a game show. It's fun because the envelope is full of money and you got all month long, like who even cares? It's an unlimited amount of time. It feels like an unlimited amount of money for just the first grocery shopping trip of the of the month, right? And you go and you're like, oh man, the kids are along and they're like, dad, can we get Lunchables? We're like, of course you can get Lunchables. You get a Lunchable, you get a Lunchable. Like throw them in the car, let's go. 64 pack of LaCroix, absolutely, that's awesome. And then the end of the month rolls around. 
especially now. Same grocery store, same trip. It's like, Dad, can we get Lunchable? No! We got $37 to make it the rest of the week. That's why we got the weird ham and the cheese product. Like, we're going to make our own Lunchables, you know? 64-pack of LaCroix. Let me introduce you to Pier, Michigan, freshwater capital of the world. It's right there in our taps. Ah, let's just enjoy it. My brother in Arizona would love to have this luxury. Let's enjoy the water that's nearly free to us. Ah, so good. What what happens in that? What happens in that? The grocery budget started to become very, very limited. And so I, I limited what I spend my grocery money on. And I started using it way more intentionally than I did previously. My kids do the same thing with time and they apply it so well. Kids, we gotta go in an hour. Pick out a game, you can do it for an hour, 60 minutes, but then we're hitting the road. They'll spend 45 minutes arguing about which game they're going to play. Kids, 15 minutes before we go, they pick out a game, complete the game, and almost put the game away. They thought about putting the game away in that 15 minute window, right? Their time got limited, and so they started to limit how they spent their time. We would be wise to pick up a lesson from those kids. We would be wise to pick up a lesson from Moses in how we spend our time. And, and Moses, he's no longer like, like philosophical about this whole thing, you know, zooming out and just getting our imagination stretched. He lands the line on verse 12. And if you're not like a, like a scripture memorization kind of person, I would strongly encourage you, to think about, think about memorizing this line because it will pay dividends so incredibly much over the course of your lifetime. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. See, what Moses wants us to know, what Moses wants you to know, is that once the time or whatever resource it is, but once that becomes more limited, That limitation that we experience has another word. It's called wisdom. The time means more. Our perspectives grow more. And we become more wise. Our reply is to us. There's a phrase that's out there that I would love for us to rework. Many of us, I'm sure, have heard the phrase, it's, it's just a phase. I'm talking to you parents. And your kids are in a rough patch because they're newborns. I get it. That's a rough patch. <laughs> For me personally, every year after the previous one has been an improvement and has been more joy-filled than the one previous. So if you've got a, like a newborn at home, like, God bless you, don't call me, right? <laughs> it's just a phase. Like, this too will pass. You know, and, and, that'll, and that'll get you through for a little while. But if we're going to use it intentionally, right? If, if we're going to limit our time, if we're going to do the best possible way we can with the limited amount of, a, of the time that we have, let's put a small spin on that. And let's say, it's just a phrase. It's just a phase. So make the most of it. It's just, they're only going to be this way for just a little while. So let's do the best we possibly can for just a little while. That's difficult as newborns. I'm going to give you that one. But pretty soon they're going to be in preschool. And they're going to be able to talk and talk back. And and you're going to tell yourself, this too is just a phase. Listen to me. So make the absolute most you can about it. 
Then they're going to go to elementary and middle school and they're going to have ideas of their own and they're going to have interesting experiences that were so far apart from whatever they experienced in your home. It's just a phase. Ask them about it. Make the most of that possibly can. When they get to high school, I don't know this. This isn't my world, but I'm told. Like the time becomes very, very limited. You can count on one hand the number of summers that you have with them. And you're going to go, it's just a phase. Leverage that as much as you possibly can to make the absolute most you possibly can with it. I'm talking to parents. I'm going to go to the far other extreme, the far other side. I'm going to go talk to single people. I don't have a lot of solutions for you right now, but I'm going to tell you that I think you have this thing most difficult. Because I remember the time when I got married and people would try to crowd in on my time with things that were maybe urgent or ultimately not that important or at least not that, not that important to me. It was difficult to say no. I got married and I realized that I can say things like, oh, I have to check with my wife about that. And I could give this total non-answer and walk away. It was magic. <laughs> and then I had kids and I'm like, oh no, I got kids, Right? And I think my parents are still using that. And I'm 38 years old. I, got, I can't do it. You know, I got kids to look after. You know, Dirk is kind of a handful, right? Like, but in all seriousness, like, like, I've seen this play out with singles. And I think we take advantage of single people a lot, right? Because they don't have that low-lying, really just an excuse. It's a paper man. And like, there's nothing to it. It's a straw man entirely, right? But it's so difficult, which is also why it's so important that we get this thing right. So here's my solution. Here's, here's maybe a, a path forward is to pick something today to add or pick something today to subtract. To, to let's apply that wisdom of Moses, to number our days, to make every day count. Number our days so that we might gain a new perspective, what he called a heart of wisdom. Add something to our time or subtract something from our time. Adding something to the time doesn't look like I'm going to pick up a new hobby. It's pretty much the opposite of that. Adding something to the time looks like scheduling in margin because it probably isn't going to happen if it's not scheduled. We know that about ourselves already. Writing it down. I'm going to spend X amount of minutes or maybe an hour, whatever it is, reading a book with paper. It's wild. There's digital versions. Don't worry about it. I'm going to sit. I'm going to download the Bible app. I'm going to start off my day every day in his presence, in the presence of my creator. I'm going to spend time in the presence of, of the God who made everything. Add something to your day. Uh, a date night or a guy's night, a girl's night, some way to connect relationally to the people around you because it's important. And if it's not scheduled, it won't happen. Think about adding something to your calendar. Second thing, consider subtracting something from your calendar. Now, this, this is where it gets really, really difficult because we're good at adding things. We're not so good at taking things away. The subtraction that you might make might be a person. The subtraction that you make it might not be an it, it might be a they. And they're just not adding something to your life. They're kind of just sucking all the life out of you. Instead of giving you a life, they're taking it away from you. And sit down and ask Jesus, honestly, if this is a fruit-bearing, blessing relationship to maintain. And if it's not, you're not getting any more days. They're limited. Treat them as such. The subtraction that you might make might be a hobby because the phase or the season of life that you're in just doesn't call for it. I had a hobby a little while ago. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is, but my kids were little and I had no business picking up a, a hobby uh, that was so time and, and financially intensive as this one. And, 
And I had a friend over, and I was explaining this awesome hobby to him, and he was, like, asking all these questions just because he's a good guy and he's a good friend. He wanted to, like, he has no interest whatsoever. It was just a me thing. And I'm, like, explaining it all, and he goes, I remember the exact moment when the hobby died in your eyes because you're explaining to me how much time and how much money you're putting into this thing, and I saw it in real time that you realized, and it was about, like, two weeks later. I just sold everything, and I'm like, I need my life back. Some of us, for hobbies, are amazing. And it's just not the time for it. The the phase that we're in, the season that we're in, it isn't making the most of it. Uh, What are you going to add? What are you going to take away this week? Listen, biblical wisdom, Psalm 90, that's helpful for anybody and everybody. But as I said earlier, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, this thing has gears on it. It's a whole other level. A whole other level comes to us from Matthew O'Reilly. He's a, he's a paramedic. He did a TED Talk a while ago, if you want to talk about it. And, and he, uh, he would show up on the scenes of these accidents where people had very, very short amounts of time left. It was an accident that happened. He could tell that they were at the very end. And he did this thing for long enough to realize that people start to ask kind of questions. One of the first questions that everybody asks, am I going to make it? You know, and he goes, for the first like, phase of his career, he would lie. Oh, yeah, no, you're going to be fine. You're gonna be, we're going to get you out of this thing. We're going to get you to the hospital. You are going to pull through. And they never did. And so he just decided, you know what? I'm going to start telling people the truth. When I show up on the scene, and if it's bad, and I know that it's bad, and they ask me that question, am I going to make it? I'm just going to tell them. I think that you have about 15 minutes left to live. You're not going to make it out of here. And he goes, the questions that came after that totally changed how I saw my job. Matthew described some of those questions that he showed up and they started asking more profound questions. They started sharing things with him. Am I going to make it? No. Massive heart attack, cardiac arrest. I'm surprised that you have the breath that you do to ask the question. You have only moments left. If we believe that fact, that line, that when your time is limited and numbered, that we gain this heart of wisdom, we are talking fast forwarding to the very, very end of life when we have hearts probably more full of wisdom than at other, any other point in our lives. And out of this abundance of wisdom, the dying gentleman says, I wish I wasn't so selfish with my time. I wish I gave more of it away. I said the first thing that I've noticed is that every single person, regardless of spiritual practices, economic status, age, background, whatever, everybody, everybody looks to express their regrets. Everybody is looking for some kind of forgiveness for however it is they lived their lives. The next one, he talks to a, he talks to a woman who says, I want to know that I'm going to be remembered. Will you remember me? He said, I'm shocked at the number of people who look at a random paramedic who's on the scene and asking me of everybody in their lives, will you at least remember me? He goes, I try the best I can to remember each person who asked that of me, but it's so many. And I I can't remember them all. But there's some kind of like memory. It's like this human need to live on into immortality. 
Like that this isn't just the end. And the last one, he goes, best comes from a woman in her 50s and she's T-boned in her car and she's, she's trapped. But the thing that is killing her is also keeping her alive in those very moments. And, they, and he knows, he knows that as soon as they pull the vehicles apart, she's going to bleed out. This is the very, very end for her. And he tells her so. And even though she had lived an exemplary life, she's adopted two kids, both of them are in med school, they're thriving, she was. She said, I wish I lived a life with more meaning to it. And he's like, every part of your life that you told me about in these few moments show a life full of meaning. But still, when our hearts are most full of wisdom, what we're going to look for is a life of meaning. A life that's forgiven. A life that doesn't end and goes on in remembrance and immortality. When your life is as, when your heart has gained the most wisdom that it's going to ever gain, when your time draws to the very, very end, you're going to look for forgiveness. You're going to look for immortality. You're going to look for some kind of meaning. And I'm telling you, you can go to that moment without hope. Or you can go to that moment and say, Jesus, you have separated my sin from my life as far as the east is from the west. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am forgiven. You can go to that moment without hope or with a heart full of wisdom. You can say, Jesus, I want to be remembered. Dull pencil beats a sharp mind. Jesus, you have written my name down in the book of life. Thank you, Jesus. I am remembered. I will live on for you. Death is not the last word. Resurrection is the last word. And there's a moment that you can go into that life with, without a knowledge that your life made any kind of difference in the scheme of things. Or you can go on into that life with a sense that you were a part of the greatest story the world has ever seen. You got to point toward the hope of the world, the light of the world. Choose wisely. If you want to know what it's like to give your life over to Jesus, we have these prayer banners set up. We would love to start that conversation today. But for today, recognize how you spend your time is how you spend your life. Your time is limited. Limit your time and gain a heart full of wisdom. I want to invite you to stand up and let's pray to the Almighty together. You are from everlasting to everlasting, God. God, we in our small lives, 10, 50, 80 years, however long you give us, 100, we zoom out and we start to see you were everlasting. You were there before the mountains were formed while the world as we know it was just a molten lava circle. And you will exist long after all of this has ended. Thank you for creating us, for giving us the time. God, thank you for not only giving us the time, but for filling it as well. For providing the life as it is to our fullest. So that in those moments when our hearts are most full of wisdom, we look to you and we know that we're forgiven. And we know that we're remembered. And we know that what we did and how we lived mattered.
Jesus, I'm praying for somebody today who is on the fence right now, is on the bubble. And God, I, I pray that you give them clarity, that you give them wisdom, that you give them the courage to step over that line, tell somebody today, to pray with somebody today, that we all would gain a heart of wisdom. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.